invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Colossians uh, chapter 1, and if you're looking uh, for it, maybe you don't have a Bible, just pop open the Bible app, and you can go to Colossians 1, and that will help you get connected with us there. Has prayer ever been a struggle for, for any of you, for any of us? I, I know for me, prayer, prayer could be a struggle. And I've learned over time that I, I besides the, the, the hail, God help me right now kind of prayers, if I'm to build some kind of pattern of prayer in my life, I, I had to learn from the scripture how to do that. I had to learn from people who've walked with Jesus for a lot more years than me and figure out prayer. Sometimes I, I actually needed to put some prayer structures in my life. And so here's a little journal that I've been working on for several years now that puts some prayer structure into my life uh, so that uh, when I realize, oh, my, my prayer life is, is on life support, <laughs> and, and I want to I move it off, I ask the Lord for help, and then I, I look at, well, what do I need to do a little differently uh, to, to get there? And, and part of the reason why this prayer life matters so much is that as intercession goes deeper, so does the transformation. So deep intercession brings about deeper transformation in my own life, vicariously. It's sort of strange that as I join with the heart of God to go deeper in prayer for others, he's also working something out inside of me. But also, it is possible to just become a large church that's only about this deep, all the way across. We can be a large church and be a shallow people. And that puts great fear in my life. Do you know when I look at some of the high-rises downtown, even here at UBC, I don't know how you live in them. Because we live in an earthquake zone, right? And, and I'm thinking, my goodness, look at that tall building. I don't think I want to be in there when all the shaking and the quaking comes. Okay, sorry. Doesn't want to put fear in your life. But I want you to share some of my fear. And some of my fear is that, wow, look at that church. They're so fantastic. But what if their foundations are very shallow? When the shaking and the quaking comes, they will fall too. So when they build skyscrapers downtown, they go deep, don't they? They go deep. Because they're going to go up. And if we are going to be a people who truly stand up under the powers and pressures of this world, then we have got to be a people who go deeper on our knees. Not just for ourselves, but for others. In almost every one of his letters, the Apostle Paul models this. It's almost as he gets ready to bend the knee, he starts with thanksgiving. 
And then when he's on his knees, he goes deeper in intercession. He goes deeper in intercession because he knows that the domineering and destructive powers of this world must be faced by the church. And so the church must keep asking God to fill believers with knowledge, knowledge of his will, so that they can live a life that's worthy and pleasing to Jesus. Let's look at how he prayed. In Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, and let's take notes so that we can learn how to intercede, so that we can pray for other people and go deeper in intercession so that they and we can go deeper in transformation. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes you may wonder, why in the world does intercession actually matter? Doesn't God already know? Doesn't God know everything already? Why does he want me to get involved in interceding for another person? Most of us have found it a little bit tricky to get involved in other people's business. You know... It's, it's that bad triangle, triad of, of life where someone else is having trouble and then you come in to swoop to the rescue. Don't do it. It's a mess. It's a mess. But what if the rescue ministry that God has called you to is actually meant to start on your knees? To start on your knees in being thankful for the people and then to enter into intercession in praying for them. Jesus modeled this. Jesus modeled this in John chapter 17 where he prays for the disciples knowing they're going to face trouble. And in John 17, he prays for the believers who are to come. Did you know that Jesus had prayed for you already? And then the scripture says that Jesus now sends at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. Jesus is still praying for us. It's something about the life and ministry of Jesus. When Jesus knew that Peter was getting ready to have a, a hard time, he tells Peter, listen, Peter, I've prayed for you, and Satan desires to sift you like wheat. 
That doesn't sound good. He was looking to shake and quake and not shake and bake. He was looking to shake and quake and try to take Peter down. But Jesus says, but Peter, I want you to know, I've prayed for you that you will remain in faith and in the end, encourage your brothers. Oh, look at that. Jesus interceded for Peter. And we actually know the end of the story. Jesus' prayers were answered. Peter returned and remained in faith with Christ. And he returned and encouraged his brothers. The Bible commands us, in fact, to actually be a people of prayer. In James chapter 5, he says, confess your sins to one another. Tell each other about your troubles and pray for one another so that you might be healed. That's intercession. Pray for one another that you might be healed. On the surface level, a lot of our prayers are those kind of prayers. God, help this person be healthy. God, this person is sick. Would you heal them? In fact, a couple weeks ago, I was in chaplains and residence in Totem. It's one of my favorite things to do. I was there from like 4.30 to 7 o'clock. And on that night, I put up, besides all the chocolate on the candy, on the, on the table, I put up a question that said, what is prayer? That night, lots of people looked at the question and kept on walking. I think I had 10 people who came and said, this is what prayer is or what I think prayer is. And one person said, I, I don't pray. I don't think prayer works. I said, well, write that down. It's an honest answer, right? Then the next week, I put up another question. And that question was, what do you pray about? I had at least 80 people stop for chocolate that night. And all kinds of people put down what they pray for. I pray for help on my exams. I pray for my family. I pray for well-being. I pray, and then finally someone asked me, well, what do you pray about? And I got to stand up and talk, and I said, well, I pray about everything. And one person said, well, would you pray for my foot? I said, I will pray for a foot. And so I got to pray that God would heal her foot. But you know, in that moment, the opportunity wasn't just to pray for her foot, was it? The opportunity was to go deeper for deeper transformation. And so, you know what I prayed? I prayed, sneaky guy that I am, I prayed that God would fill her with the knowledge of his love. Yeah. And you know, I usually pray with my eyes open. And so I'm watching as I pray. And when I prayed that, all three people's faces lit up. Oh God, fill them with the knowledge of your love.
This is where Paul starts. Did you see it? In verse 9, he says, We keep asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He says, this is the start and the movement towards deeper transformation. Oh God, fill them with the knowledge of your will through the wisdom and understanding of the Spirit. When he's speaking of knowledge of his will, he's not talking necessarily about, um, should I have eggs for breakfast or toast? Does God have a will about that? I don't know. He might. But he is definitely talking about the knowledge of God's will being this increasing and growing knowledge about what God is doing in the world and who God is in this world and how Jesus shows the majesty and glory of God, how he expresses the love of God to us. And so he's praying that we would know more of the gospel, that we would know more of Jesus in our lives. Do you know, when you fill a teacup, how full do you fill it? When you fill a mug of hot chocolate, how far do you fill it? I imagine that most of you are as conservative as I am. You always leave a space between the top and where you fill it to, right? All of you? No? Maybe some of you are like my daughter. She loves her tea so much that she'll take a mug that's this big and and until recently when I was like, you need to stop doing that. She would fill it all the way to the top. And then she would try to walk with it. And of course, what happens? It spills. You know, there's tea on the floor. There's tea on the stairs. There's tea on her sweats and pajamas. And I'm like, okay, we need to talk about this. But fortunately, God is not so conservative that when we ask God to fill, that's what he's going to do. He's going to fill to the top. And then as life continues, he's going to hope that you spill. What spills out of you when you're bumped in life? It's what you've been filled with. What spills out of you when the quaking and shaking comes? It's what you've been filled with. And his prayer is that God would fill these people with the knowledge of him so that when they're bumped, pressed, crushed, what squeezed, what comes out of them is more of the knowledge of God. In this world, in this life, So that's why that prayer is so important that we prayed, Oh God, oh Holy Spirit, come fill me afresh. He wants to fill you afresh so that what is bumped and sloshed and squeezed out of your life is more of the knowledge of Him. 
the knowledge of God becomes the foundation for knowing him. He wasn't talking about some secret knowledge that no one knew and that could only be found in some kind of secret experience. No, he's talking about the knowledge that has been revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and through his history with the people of Israel, he's saying this knowledge is needed today for everyone. Everyone needs this knowledge. For a while, one of the universities close to my house, or colleges close to my house, had a sign that said, knowledge is power. And the knowledge of God through Christ Jesus is power. It is power. It is power to produce a life that is worthy of Jesus. It is what produces a life that is pleasing to God. Notice what Paul says next. He's saying that as he is praying, he is envisioning a life in these people produced by the knowledge of God through the Spirit that is pleasing to God. And in a sense, this is a prophetic prayer where Paul is looking into the life of the Colossians and saying, I've been praying for you, and as I've done it, I've imagined what the knowledge of God is going to do in your life. The knowledge of God is going to do four things in your life. It's going to make you bear fruit. It's going to grow you even more in the knowledge of God. It's going to strengthen you so that you can endure and have patience. And it's going to cause you to be joyful and gracious and full of gratitude and thanks towards God. Now, do you imagine that the knowledge of God is going to do that? Many of us imagine that our degree is going to make us something. What is your degree going to do? Your degree, which is code for knowledge, right? You're going to know something when you graduate, right? Maybe. We're not sure. Okay, play along with me for a moment. So when you, when you get your degree, it's going to make you happy? Did somebody say happy? Rich? Did anybody say rich? It's going to make you rich. It's going to make you employable? Maybe, you hope. So we're not so sure. And I think, too, we're not sure that the knowledge of God is going to do all this either. That we're skeptical today about knowledge. In fact, some of us who've grown up in the church have still carried on on the little bit of knowledge, and we've not let our knowledge grow. We know less about the Bible than we knew when we were a kid, because we don't read it. We know less about the character and nature of God because we don't meet him in prayer than we knew in the simple, sincere faith as a kid. God is inviting you in your university days to also grow in the knowledge of God. To grow in the knowledge of what he is doing and up to in this world. And apparently God has a lot of time. I mean, every time I hear about 
how big the universe is. I'm like, God's got time. But I've got less. And so I want to get on with it. I want to get on with the knowledge of God. Because look what the knowledge of God can do. The knowledge of God, he says, he's praying this because deeper intercession begins deeper transformation. And here's the transformation, a fruitful life. Notice what he said in verse 10, you will be bearing fruit in every good work. So knowing God produces fruitfulness. Can you imagine in, in, for a moment what it would be like if every good work that you took up bore some kind of fruit that God went, ooh, look at that. I love that. You know, this is what Paul's doing here. The apostles knew that Jesus had said, I chose you, I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So what if every good work you ventured into produced fruit, that something was being produced even when you thought, this is fruitless, this is terrible, this is nothing. We've been talking recently about the good works God calls us into, that God prepared in advance good works for us to do, and that these good works are possible in our relationships with others. And so in the relationships of people in your class, in your dorms, in your family, in your workplace, in your play place, when you're just in the bus, these kind of relationships are places where good works can happen. Your job and work can be a good work that bears greater fruit than you imagine. And so the prophetic move that Paul's making here in prayer is that as he's praying for them, he's never met them, he's only talked with Epaphras about them, he's imagining, well, what are they doing in their life today? He's got time. He's in prison. What do you do in prison? You think, or you pray, or you study, or you work out lots of push-ups. He's got time. And so he's doing a mental work of holy imagination and thinking about the good works that they're about. And so when I pray like this for Ellen, and she's on her way to work, and she's there, I'm imagining the good work she's about there, and I'm like, oh God, make her fruitful in every good work. That's the kind of intercession we need. That's the kind of intercession I need. Is that as a church, as we go out, scattered into the world, we are still the church, but we're scattered for the good works. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. Let your good deeds shine so that people will give praise to God. Do you know the capacity to give praise to God means that there's a conversion of heart. There has been a seed planted in the heart that has yielded a conversion of mind to say, 
wow, God must be doing something with you because I see you. And you're just you. You're human in a zoot suit of skin just like me. But God must be doing something. The second thing that he imagines is that they will keep on growing in the knowledge of God. We've already reflected this, but he's basically saying that a little bit of knowledge of God can also become a greater knowledge of God. And that a movement in this means that you are growing in the knowledge of God. Do you know, the, I, I remember standing at the ocean in Florida, in the Gulf of Mexico. And I'm looking at that, and I was a little kid, just looking out across there, just watching the waves come. And I was like, this is amazing. This is the ocean. But I also remember standing at the ocean in Northern Ireland, at the Atlantic Ocean, and thinking as a kid, wow, I flew a long way to get here, and this is still the ocean? The ocean is big. And for many of us, we need this kind of experience to stand at the beach of who God is and his glory and his majesty, his wisdom, his love, his grace, his mercy, his truth, and go, oh, God is so big. You will never run out of something to learn about God. Nor will you ever run out of some new experience to have with God. Job had a terrible experience of life. Job lost an immense amount in his life. Family, relationships, pride, even his friends, he lost reputation among his friends. And Job had this moment where he had to say to God, when he was confronted with the immensity of God, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, what, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful me to know. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The knowledge of God actually generates humility. And Paul's here praying, and he's having a prophetic moment where he's thinking and praying about these people, and he's like, yeah, the knowledge of God is just going to bring out more knowledge of God in their life and experience. And I don't think he missed the fact that this sense of mystery and majesty would generate humility. But he knows that life is tough. So he's also imagining 
that the knowledge of God is going to bring about some strengthening. Notice what he says in verse 11, that this is going to produce endurance and patience, that the might and power of God is available to to see a people who are shaking and quaking and being squeezed and under pressure in life, and he's imagining that they're standing up tall. They're strengthened. They're enduring and they're patient. Endurance has to do with persisting and lasting through a struggle. Patience has to do with something you're waiting for. Often, most of us require patience when we're waiting on someone. You know the moment. You've set up to go for dinner, but they're not ready yet. You ready yet? Not ready yet. And so, you stand at the door. How? Patiently. Patiently. Because a bad attitude can ruin the whole date. So you're patient as you wait. Now, that kind of patience as you wait on Jesus needs the power of God. It needs the power of God. Or we begin to deconstruct our faith because we are disappointed. We begin to deconstruct our faith because we had expectations that weren't met yet. We begin to deconstruct our faith because others don't seem to be coming along with us. Deconstruct as much as you want, but let your faith remain in Christ. There could have been a lot of other things you put your faith in, and that's what needs to be removed. What remains is Christ. To endure with his power as you patiently wait on him to show himself. Paul says that is a life that's worthy and pleasing to God. A life that is bearing fruit, that is growing, that is enduring and patient, and finally, that is thankful. That just has gratitude as we're joyfully giving thanks because God's power has been evident in your life and in the lives of others. How many of you would say, I actually want to be a person whose life is fruitful in the eyes of God? How many of you would say, I actually want to be a person who's growing in the knowledge of God? How many would say, I want to be a person who just seems to have this supernatural strength that's beyond them to be able to endure and to be patient? How many of you would say, I'd like to be a person who even through the struggles and pressures of this life finds a way to be joyfully thankful? Yeah, that's a deep transformation. All of you are desiring a deeper transformation. And the, the, the secret here behind is that you're actually desiring that somebody would pray for you. 
Because this isn't just generated by ourselves. This is generated by a church and a community that prays. And we must give this to each other. We must let the Lord bring us into the school of prayer where we learn to pray for each other. We learn to pray for people we haven't even met. We learn to pray for nations. We learn to pray for churches. We learn to pray for our children and our parents and our grandparents. We learn to pray valuing and treasuring the knowledge of God and saying, oh God, fill them up. And then in prayer, to imagine with the Holy Spirit, what is it going to look like? We, we don't have to tell God how to do it, but we can ask God to do it. And so I want to invite you into that process. Do you have this card? you have this card with you? I'm going to ask you to just stand up here for a moment, and we're going to practice this prayer. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. We're going to practice this prayer. And I'll read through it just so you, you, you see what this is like. So I'm going to pray um, for my friend Jeff. Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, I am lifting up Jeff to you. Jeff is your child through the grace of Jesus Christ. Thank you for Jeff, my brother in Christ. Oh God, fill Jeff with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that your Spirit gives so that Jeff may live a life worthy of our Lord Jesus and please Jesus in every way. May Jeff bear fruit in every good work. May Jeff grow in the knowledge of you. May Jeff be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that he may have great endurance and patience. May Jeff give joyful thanks to you, our Father, for you have qualified Jeff to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. You have rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of your Son whom you love and in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I praise you, Lord, and ask this in the name and for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, you just watched me do that. I don't want you to watch anymore. I want you to turn to a neighbor and say, can I pray for you? Get their name, get their name, and you pray for them with, this, with their name in this prayer. And then take a turn and let them do the same for you. Are you ready? Go for it. <laughs> 